Welcome, welcome everybody to the business of your mind show. It has been a very eventful last two weeks. I know y'all miss me. I know I miss y'all too. I love y'all. But uh, my guest on today's show is going to bring us some phenomenal information. He's a good friend of mine. Before I bring him on, I just want to see how everybody's doing. Uh, we're living in a very interesting time right now, and I feel like the subject matter that we're going to be talking about today is something that a lot of people talk about toxic people without realizing that sometimes you are that toxic person. Can I get a man? So... The purpose of tonight's show is to help you identify whether you are that person, whether you're dealing with that person, whether you're enabling that person to continue to be toxic. Because if you know anything about toxic waste and toxic people, they will infect you regardless of whether you think that you're strong enough or not. So without further ado, I want to introduce this young gray sweatpants wearing <laughs> individual <laughs> good friend of mine's, uh, Dr. Manny. Uh, Dr. Manny is a Dr. Manny St. Victor's brain-slapping style of research attracts clients from around the world to actively discover how their minds work and how to think their way to success. A true polymath, he's brought much-needed science to the fuzzy world of self-improvement, and he's equally at ease with everyone from billionaires to Tibetan throat singers. I, I, I got something to say about that, man, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> three years into his psychiatry residency, Dr. Manny St. Vincent quit medicine for the third time to pursue his dreams. This time it was to build virtual worlds with a startup story, with, with a startup, but underneath it all was an emerging story. He was looking for a deeper, more meaningful way of being in alignment with his evolving creative passions. Software development led to entrepreneurship, which led him to find his purpose, guiding others to awakening their true potential. Founder of Precision Mindset and best-selling author of Thinking About Quitting Medicine, Dr. Manny has the heart to reach those who are seeking to be unstuck from success roadblocks and to heal the effects of past traumatic events that at times trigger present realities. His method is through the effective method of hypnotherapy because he believes healing wounds changes the way reality looks and feels. Without further ado, I want to introduce the genius, the man, the myth, the legend, the gray sweatpants wearing sexy mother shut your mouth, Dr. Manny St. Victor. Yeah, what's up, man? <laughs> what's going on, my brother? Yeah, well, let's get it. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. Thank you for having me on the show. Let's chop man, it up. No, I'm ready. I'm glad we can uh, we, we could we, we could have you on the show, man. What you Thank think you. about this topic, brother? Uh, I think it's a fundamental topic because we're all looking for relationships, and over and over, we keep running into people who are looking for people looking for relationships, but not with the intention of providing them with their relationship. 
instead with the intention of draining them, derailing them, misleading them, exploiting them. And uh, a lot of times they say, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. But until we get to where we can recognize toxic people, each attempt to get love ends up being another experience of getting more deeply wounded and bringing up old trauma. And so to me, getting an understanding of toxic people is an opportunity to get an understanding of yourself and to get an understanding of why you keep doing the things to yourself that you do. To the business of your mind. Absolutely. Can you hear me? We can now. Excellent. All right. Yeah, so what do you feel? Um, what experiences in life are most profound as it relates to uh, uh, people being toxic? Do you think it's something that people are just born toxic? You think is you know, uh, something dealing with the family? Could it be upbringing? Like, what do you find when you're dealing with people as the number one source of people um, having a toxic personality? Uh, developmental trauma. Basically, it begins with, we're, we're creatures that run on love, like unconditional love. If we grew up in environments where that love is connected to either your behavior or academic performance, or you happen to have the misfortune of being born into a place where people are emotionally unavailable. Mm. Then as you're growing up, these needs will come up, a need to be validated, a need to be um, uh, loved and appreciated when you're failing, when you're at your worst, a need to rest and just be yourself. If all these needs are not met along the way, you come to, or if you have some trauma, you come to believe that you're not worth loving unconditionally and mm. as such then you become either a performer or you become someone who beats up on others as they perform a pessimist a critic or you become a perpetual victim where you just feel as if uh no matter how much you try you can never get it without other people and so you become codependent mm. yeah so all these different um ways of being keep us from actually being fully alive, being fully connected to our truth and reaching our potential because we can't collaborate. Right. Yeah. So why do you think that so many people, um, the, one, the one thing I've never heard is somebody call themselves toxic. Yeah. Everybody can identify toxic people, quote unquote, but nobody ever thinks they're the toxic person. And in order for there to be toxic people, somebody has to be toxic, right? So yep. How do, is there anything that when you're meeting with a client and there may be, we all, we all know that perception, uh, per, uh, perception is projection a lot of times. Yeah. You know, when you're constantly saying so-and-so is toxic, so-and-so is toxic, is, uh, yes. you're the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that, and that's a very, very important point because yeah. We spend a large part of our lives running away from ourselves while attracting people that continue to punish us for being our old selves. Mm. Uh, and then we blame those people for staying stuck there, but yet we continue to create these relationship patterns. We gravitate towards people who remind us of people who have wounded us before in an attempt to close those loops. 
Right. So one of the ways to realize the aspects of you that are toxic is to look at the people you attract and the relationships which you have with them. Often, if you have someone, uh, and there's three main ways to know if you're toxic, um, uh, to see yourself, three toxic roles. There is the role of being the victim. Uh, there's the role of being a rescuer. And there's the role of being a persecutor, a critic, blamer type of person. So when we see ourselves in these positions, instead of helping someone either grow or become their best self, then it's time to ask ourselves, why is it that we continue to attract these type of people? Which role are we addicted to playing? Someone who is addicted to always being the victim is going to attract people who always want to rescue them, and they're going to attract people who always get sick and tired of someone playing the victim. So they're going to attract their own villain, their own persecutor, and they're going to attract their own overly nourishing, suffocating enabler based Mm. on the demons they carry around in their energy. Mm. Man, that is some deep stuff, brother. Um, So you and I have had discussions, right? We have talked about one of the things that connects to us is that we identified uh, you know, certain things, maybe in our own upbringing. Um, you know, my mother passed in 18, you know, uh, and really how you and I connected was that I came to see you. Yeah. Yep. Came to see you like, Hey man, you know, I'm over here crying about my mama, but my mama done messed me up too, man. You know, yeah. she ain't here no more, Yeah. but I need to get past some of this stuff. Um, can you go a little bit deeper into, the impact that parents have on their children. And I, I don't believe that my mom, your mom, but I, I know a lot of males, a lot of men that are running around here with mama Trump, with, with, with a mama trauma is what I'm yeah. calling it, mama trauma. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I believe it's inadvertent, you know, for instance, you know, with my mom, I know that she was projecting the image of my dad onto me. Yeah. So because I was a constant reminder of that she had laid with a man <laughs> that had basically left her or whatever the situation was, you know, I was the the one getting beat up by it. Yeah. So, you know, um, with that being the case, what what do you do in that circumstance if you are either a parent that's currently doing it because we, we, we tend to perpetuate what we grew up learning, yeah. you know, uh, what we grew up seeing. We think that is right. You know, we think that is normal. You know, you grew up saying I, I, um, have got some friends that, you know, grew up, you know, in abusive relationships, you know, seeing their mom, dad fight. They thought it was okay. So they, so now they fighting. Yep. You know what I'm yep. saying? They grew up seeing their parents slanging, you know, so now they, sl- you know, or whatever. Yep. So it's like, yep. What can you do as a parent if you see yourself inadvertent? I keep using the word inadvertent because I don't think anybody consciously wants to be toxic. At least I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, you know, just talking about the whole parent child thing, like what, what advice, how do you address that? 
what, you know, what are you doing that case if you know that, man, I'm at like my mama, because you hear all the time, yeah. man. Yeah. I'm like my mama, my mama used to do that, you know, yeah. daddy yeah. or whoever, you know, toxic. Yeah. So before I get attacked on social media, they're toxic dads and moms. Let me yeah, make sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just did not grow up with my dad. So my point of reference is a toxic mom. Yeah, yeah, that's well, well. So let me make sure I say that anybody listening to this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> downloading it or whatever, like I'm not attacking women. I love women. Yeah, I yeah. love them to death. Yeah. But that's just my point of reference. This yeah. is about toxic people, toxic parents. What do you do? Yeah, if you well, are the victim of that, uh, you gotta come to your truth is the first step. Uh, and the way to often come to your truth is to see and feel uh, the way your current relationships are looking. Mm. Um, your relationship with your kids are most important because it's a it's a captive audience. They can't go anywhere, they can't leave you. you know So if you find yourself uh, in a relationship with your kids where you're constantly pressing them up against the wall, telling them to leave, threatening to kick them out the house, et cetera, whatever, uh, then you want to ask yourself, where did you learn that? Uh, where did you learn this pattern of relating to someone who couldn't leave, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, then you want to look at your prior relationships and you want to look at some of your initial relationships. How did your mom and dad treat each other around you? How did they show affection? How did they, um, how did they argue? Did they argue in front of you or did they passive aggressive each other? Because mm-hmm. you think about all the things that uh, we come from a generation where parents did so much in private that we got a limited view of what parenting was really about. Mm. You know, with me, as far as I knew, parenting was coming home tired as hell and um, going out with the fellas, you know, discipline, strict discipline, uh, checking my homework. Uh, For me, my mother uh, was also coming home tired, uh, feeling guilty, uh, um, trying hard, but not connecting. So when my parents had it hard, you know, my parents came from Haiti. And so, you know, they, they got by. They had the immigrant mindset. But when I uh, eventually got to the point of success, I realized that I continued to carry their voices with me where um, everything from uh, just um, just anytime I would get stuck as I was reaching higher levels, I would immediately devalue that level and uh, just not feel good enough. I had this chronic imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And then I, I had to ask myself, where did it come from? All the issues and demons that I have now, where did I get them? What did I do to grow them? And why is it that some of them are still so deeply embedded in me? And then I decided, okay, well, let me look at my relationship every day with my kids. How do I act when I'm not paying attention to how I'm acting? You know, certain things like um, uh, just... Um, A lot of times, one of the things I noticed was coming home and just being super tired, you know, just feeling the need to chronically just be tired and acting like my kids were an annoyance to me just because I guess this is the script I assume went between dad and the kids. Mm. I'm so busy working so hard to make ends meet, you know, that I'm I'm too tired to play with y'all, you know. And the irony and sadness of that is I'm not because, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I've set up my business where I have time. Right. Yet I still do the scripts. You know, there are certain times like with my daughter where I I realized that I'm cutting her off and not hearing her because I came up with the uh, in the generation of kids should be seen barely and not heard. (laughs) You know, you know, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. 
any the, 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 a good guide is anytime you find yourself feeling like you're stuck in a groove and you don't feel good doing it. Anytime you talk to your kid in a way that afterwards you're sitting in the room feeling like you got to go uh, apologize, but adults don't do that thing. You're being toxic because you owe someone an apology. You violated someone's boundaries. Mm -hmm. Anytime you, you, you walk away after you realize in the middle of the discussion that the child was right and you continue to plow through them, that's old parental conditioning, you know, uh, with with me in my home, one of the things is my daughter is increasingly identifying as male. You know, she's five and she's starting to do that. So a lot of the times I find myself shutting it down because I come from, you know, like my, I have my parental conditioning, you know, that ah, ignore that. It'll pass. But really, I know that a lot of times my parents, the things that they ignored did not pass. They became things about myself that I felt that they ignored because they were too disgusting to be valued. Right. So what am I passing on by doing those scripts in autopilot? Mm. So that's the to the question of parental parental impact. Just look at how you feel when you're interacting with your kids. In the times that you don't feel good, ask yourself why are you doing that behavior anyway, and and, and what wound in you needs to be healed so that you don't feel the need to propagate it. You 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 hit on a couple of things I wanna I wanna I wanna I wanna touch on. I touch. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is the imposter syndrome. You know, I think, I don't know if it's a all male or a black male thing, but growing up, my mom made me feel bad about being smart, intelligent, and confident. She made me feel like when I was confident about or happy about something that I had done, that I was being arrogant. I'm like, nah, like if, I, if I'm an A student in math, I'm an A student in math. If Michael yeah. Jordan is the best athlete, he should be able to say, I am the best. That is not arrogance. That is confidence, especially if you can back it up. So she ended yeah, up speaking yeah. to a psychiatrist, a, a psychologist. Uh, at a, It was a professor at Emory that was a friend of hers. And she was like, you know, nah, your, your son does not have, he's not arrogant. He's just extremely confident. Yeah. There is a difference. An arrogant person you know, uh, walks around thinking that thinks think, think that they're better than other people. Your son is just confident in his abilities. Yeah. That's confidence. Um, so with that, um, as I started to like, you know, write these books and, you know, and get these accolades and stuff. And like, it was hard. Like it was almost like I would self-sabotage myself Start working as hard. Like, wait a minute, hold on, the train going too fast. Yeah. I ain't supposed to be here. My mama said I'd be nothing but a garbage man. Yep. <laughs> she did say, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you're, when that script is embedded in you, and now that, you know, uh, you know, I've, you know, done some NLP stuff and stuff like that. And I try to kind of understand it like, man, like I get it. Yeah. You know, we programmed from way before we had any control, like two, three, you know what I'm saying? It could be yep. one. <laughs> yep. Yep. Your, for, your first instance of anger, yep. hate, whatever, you don't remember it. Yeah. But that's what molds you to this adult human being that you are, which is why certain things would trigger you to act like a two-year-old. Yep. And can't help yourself. <laughs> right. Um, 
then I want to touch on too. So I want to, I want to, I want to dig deeper in imposter syndrome. I think that's going to help a lot of people. Uh, two, this past weekend, normally when I play with my son, I stay in adult mode, whether it's basketball or whatever. I stay in adult mode. I don't go to his four-year-old level and start seeing zombies and vampires and stuff. Well, this past weekend, I said, Dad, what's wrong with you? So we got in the backyard. We was out there fighting, fighting <laughs> hundred foot tall skeletons and uh, <laughs> zombies, and you yep. know. And I empowered him because I was like, "That's something that my mother never did to me. She never came down to my level as a child and just played with me." Now, did I look crazy outside, flailing my hands and killing these mysterious? werewolves and stuff that were attacking us in my backyard. Yes, I made it, y'all. I made it, y'all. See, I made it. Not to the person who matters. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It felt good, man, because I was actually deprived of my childhood because I I was always told I was the man of the house. So it's like, I don't remember being that free. Like, my son is free-free. Like, he he saw everything in the backyard. He went from that to becoming a delivery driver. He had his little power wheel and was driving around, you know, with... uh, you know, and bringing um, pizzas and, you know, and medicine to me. He, he, so he went from being an Uber driver to being an MD, yeah. you know, uh, you know, it, it was crazy, but like, I, I, I just, I just got in his world and like, yeah. it was so liberated for me as a man, because I think men, a lot of times, like we, we are so guarded, man. And we want to always keep this macho image, but it's like, that's toxic in itself. It is, you know, that's toxic masculinity. So it's like, when when you're dealing with that, it makes it when you take that mask off, and I feel like we should not have masks on with our children. Yeah. Our children and our spouses should see us naked. Now I'm not saying that literally. I ain't saying you your you know, your your ten year old son or daughter need to see you naked. That ain't what I'm saying. What I'm mm-hmm. saying is they need to see you be a human being so that they can know how to process emotions and how to navigate the world. Because if they don't ever see you stress, if they don't ever see you go through the different human emotions, and especially with men, if they don't ever see you uh, cry, like I'm writing this book that I want to, um, uh, I, I want to talk to you about too, doctor, uh, called Undead Beat Your Son, yep. which is dealing with all of that toxic stuff that are in men, you know, um, but back to this conversation, the imposter syndrome, how do you how do you navigate that? And I see somebody in the chat put absolute mask off. Absolutely, Valerie. Uh, um, you know, mask off at all times because when you're dealing with um, you know, whether you think you're an overachiever, and I actually hate the word overachiever. I'm like, I don't, I don't like it because it makes it sound like you're doing something wrong. Like, how do you overachieve? No, like I'm, <laughs> I'm just living. I'm just maxing my life out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, but overachiever makes it sound like an imposter. You know what I'm saying? Like it has an imposter to it to me anyway. You know, it just sounds. It's, it's it doesn't sound like a positive thing. He's such a he's the consummate overachiever. Like okay, man, no, I'm just out here doing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I right. I ain't nowhere near where I want to be. Like you know, you you might think it's cool, but um, that whole imposter syndrome. How do you 
help people identify that and get past it? Because I know when you mentioned it earlier, you know, when you go through certain levels, especially when you're making money and just going through different levels of society, you know, a lot of these cliches are real. It's lonely at the top, like, because the higher you go, it's just simple mathematics. So higher you go, the fewer people are that are in your economic bracket or that are as successful as you. So there's fewer people for you to connect to, yada, yada, yada. So how do you how do you help people navigate that or how have you navigated that within your own life? And how do people identify where they're stuck um, and basically get past being that imposter? Yep. I think the key to overcoming imposter syndrome is authenticity. Uh, And authenticity begins with observing yourself without judgment. Um, Uh, basically with self-acceptance, which creates the room for self-love. Now, the reason I say that is that uh, imposter syndrome as an experience is when you're walking around and from moment to moment, you're not able to believe in yourself, either because you're hearing voices in your head at different moments that are telling you you're not as good as other people are saying you are. Mm -hmm. So that comes up all the time automatically activating this self-doubt. It may be that you feel that people can read your thoughts or if they knew what you had done in the past that they wouldn't appreciate you as much. Now, when you combine that with a certain amount of perfectionism, if you came from an environment where people were always picking at your mistakes, you're always there observing your mistakes and your inner critic acting as a role of either a former critical teacher, critical mentor, or critical parent is in your head the whole time criticizing you. Every single mistake you make you know, now when you're out in the field, you've come a long way from all these mistakes. But if you've conditioned yourself where for week after week, all you've heard is you say to yourself, you're stupid, you're lazy, you're procrastinating, whatever it is that you've been saying over and over, when you actually get to the competing field and you go looking for quiet, what's going to happen is what's going to come up is the voice of that inner critic. And in that moment, every time you hear an echo laser, you're immediately going to hear something in the opposite. Mm. Now, One of the things I have my clients do often is a simple exercise. I call it mirror talk. Uh, It's five minutes of saying I love you in the mirror. Mm. Now, it's one thing to say affirmations, but it's challenging to believe affirmations if every time you say them, your brain is calling BS or you're hearing Mm. the voice of someone in the past who saw you as your less good self. And this is where toxic people come into play because toxic people introduce more moments in your life where you're feeling lesser than, where you're feeling undeserving, unlovable, unfunny, whatever it is that you normally at your best self feel good at, toxic people make you feel as if whenever you're with them, that is not that, Mm. you know? So now, so when you are used to being around people at a high frequency who reflect your not so good self, they reflect your flaws, they quickly criticize you, they interrupt you, they diminish your ideas, then your brain, which is really in a machine for predicting the environment, predicts that that's, it's going to get more of that. So when you're at an event getting an accolade, uh, if you have a history of trauma, especially relational trauma, you're going to remember that someone in your past groomed you. They were really sweet. They got you flowers. They got you chocolates. They gave you a bunch of attention right before they pulled the, the rug out from under you. If you have that trauma in your past, if you have that template of that pattern, Whenever someone is complimenting you, you're going to be like, oh, they distracted me to set me up for some. This is flattery. What do they want from me? Mm. If you're used to people with hidden motives and ulterior motives and, and latent intentions, toxic people who aren't authentic, 
So you're used to double interpreting everything people say. And as such, when you're supposed to feel pure love, you feel love and manipulation. You feel mm. love and guilt. You feel love and distrust because the people that were around you modeling how to think about yourself when you're doing things, whether it's don't compliment him, it might go to his head, which is something that creates a big vacuum in achievement. Right. A lot of us, we achieve, and we were so conditioned to hear deafening silence after we achieved because our parents didn't want us to become arrogant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they withheld affection, they withheld praise, they actually withheld validation, all right. fundamental nurturing things that we need developing as humans to develop a sense of integrity and of truth and of who we are. Mm. So when those old voices and old wounds exist within ourselves, when someone says certain things, when people look at us a certain way, even when we're in the process of winning and we feel a burst of confidence, we misidentify it as arrogance. And in that moment, we don't go into that zone. We don't fully receive the accolade. We filter it with ego narration. And then in that moment, we feel like a fraud. And walking away from the event, instead of feeling more powerful, we feel conflicted. We feel like we should have done this, that, and the other. We mm -hmm. should have been more present because we were too busy beating ourselves up. That's the nature of imposter syndrome. Mm. Man, you said a mouthful of that, brother. Man. Uh, and so often, people don't even recognize. Like, I didn't even know what imposter syndrome was, to be honest with you, until I was probably about 38 years old. You know, and I was like, well, how come every time I achieve something like with the easy button that sometimes I feel like it's on my life. I just like, I just touch that button and it's, it pops. It's like, it came too easy. Yeah. You know, what am I doing? You know, and I used to put a lot of, um, I used to get so frustrated, like in relationships for that exact reason, because my mom, she wasn't one to really celebrate you. You know what I'm saying? And that she was quick to criticize. But if you did anything good, they're like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> you just do what you're supposed to do. Right? But my thing is that if you're going to criticize when you do bad, you need to praise when you do good. Yeah. Um, and, and I real feel like quick, as a matter of fact, for every one criticism, your 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 spirit, you know, using that metaphor, needs seven affirmations. Wow. That's that's the ratio. Wow. Wow, that is profound, brother. I mean, so why why is it that so many people, I would even say in personal relationships, like as far as like your, your significant other, because I've, I've struggled with this in marriages and relationships, you know, where a lot of people, I think it's easy for most people to be with a normal person somebody that goes to work, you know, not saying anything about anybody that, that works. But what I'm saying is that, for instance, I'm a visionary. I like to go out and create. So I don't curse on this, uh, <laughs> on this side of Amanda because my, my niece, she watches, but she's 18 years old. She's like, no, yeah. you got cuss. I'm like, Hey, you do what? <laughs> but, you know, so I always find, you know, clever ways of saying stuff over here. Yeah. Um, but when I um, when I start thinking about, you know, how do I want to raise my children? 
do I want them to understand that it's okay to be brilliant? It's okay to be a bright person because I remember the first time one of my kids came home and said that the kids were making fun of them because they were smart. I was like the school I went to, I was a, I was a cool ad nerd <laughs> and anybody. And I, there are a couple of people that went to school with me, whether it's college or high school that, that are on this post, they'll tell like Felipe was smart, but he was cool. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't a bad thing to be smart. Yeah. Nowadays, these kids are like, you know, they want to they want to be seen as a game or, 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 or <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or or some bad person because being smart isn't cool. And I'm like, OK. Grade school is what? That's 13 years of your life, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, you know, pre, you know, so you're going to let the actions of a whole bunch of little broke kids dictate the rest of your life. And I get peer pressure is real, but so many of our children, like they don't uh, see so Valerie. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. She said, yes, smart and cool fella. Yeah. Y'all I told y'all <laughs> love you, Val. I appreciate you. But, um, yes, yeah, like you got, we should be wanting our kids to, feel like they want to do good, feel like they want to make good grades, feel like they want to be the best. Because like I tell my kids, everybody on this planet puts their pants on the exact same way. Everybody takes a dump. Everybody pees. Everybody eats. Ain't nobody got a magic set of, nobody on this earth can fly. As far as I know, I I don't think Superman is real. You know what I'm saying? Like I ain't yep. seen Batman come out of the sky and say nobody. So that's that. So in, in my mind, of course, you know, we got social, economic, and you know stuff. But a lot of that is mental. I mean, not yep. saying it doesn't exist, but a lot of that stuff is mental. Yeah. You know, once you get past all of that, the sky becomes the beginning. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, so how do we get our um, how do we stop projecting that onto our kids? And you just said something profound that was it six, seven words of praise or affirmation? Yep, yep. You need seven to one. For every insult you say to someone, you need seven affirmations with as much energy as the insult had. Ooh, with you the, know? Ooh, boy, I, who, who's doing that? <laughs> you know? You know? So, so if, if, if you're giving someone over the shoulder, quick, busy, glancing compliments, then n- notice the energy which you put in the vitriol, how, 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 how toxic and biting and scathing uh, are, are your insults to them, mm. you know? Uh, and after an insult, ask yourself, how long does it take for you to actually give this person seven equally positive statements? Mm. And how is the relationship and the person's sense of self as it relates to being around you doing? Now, a toxic person will be looking for those positive things from you. They will fish for compliments. Mm. They will set you up to apologize, you know, and you'll feel like the whole time you're just playing this weird uh, game of chess Mm. instead of just relating. You walk away feeling as if the person managed 
to either walk away the moral high ground, made you feel smaller, made mm-hmm. you feel dependent, made you feel like you needed them mm-hmm. because of their need to be needed mm. instead of their willingness to be vulnerable to being loved. Mm. Why do you why do you think it's so difficult for why do you think it's so easy for people to criticize than it is to speak positively about people? Like why is that? Well, it depends on how you grew up. If you grew up in a scarcity environment, in a mm. scarcity environment, uh, most people who find themselves stuck in scarcity mode and surrounded by others of scarcity usually have low self-esteem because mm. scarcity is a projection of low self-worth. Mm. So now people with low self-esteem, they self-regulate downwards. That means they look around for people to criticize so they could feel better. And then immediately uh, after they the person stops feeling bad, they stop feeling good. And so they need to criticize someone else. They're looking for that narcissistic supply. Who can mm-hmm. need me? Who can lift me? Who can value me? Who will ignore my flaws? Who will uh, enhance and validate this false image I'm putting up? This is the nature of narcissism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, on the other side of that, you want you want to be looking for people who value your energy, and when they're around you, they're pouring back into you as quickly as you're pouring into them. Right. You know this this is ultimately the whole process. Mm. You know, Why do you? Oh, go, go, go ahead. Yeah. Until we do that, we will attract people who criticize us because we are we grew up in an environment where the criticism. Bad attention was the only attention we got, mm. you know, and like like I said, if you're the kind of person where when people are giving you compliments, you distrust them, then you'll be on your guard and you'll be misinterpreting things they say later, seeing if the compliment was to um, juice you up to distract you, as opposed to if you can naturally receive a compliment as something that is true about you. It doesn't go to your head. It doesn't distract you. It just becomes part of the truth. It encourages you and gives you energy to keep moving forward. Right. Yeah. Mm. So those are the people that you attract based on your self-esteem. A person with high self-esteem, uh, they self-enhance upwards. They look for people who are better than them Absolutely. and they admire, they support, they okay. ask questions and they grow with you instead of having that fixed mindset that leads to just ego threat and living in the drama triangle. So hopefully so, I didn't over explain that. No, no, <laughs> no, you never that, man. You know, Everybody on this, uh, every everybody listening, you know, make sure you bring out your thesaurus and your uh, and your dictionary <laughs> when Brother Man is talking, because uh, he might throw out some words that you know maybe haven't been used since. Uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he'll start speaking. You know, you you'll think he's speaking Greek or something, but he is speaking English. Uh, <laughs> but no, the brother's just brilliant, man. Um, so that. That whole thing with um, with narcissism. Yeah. Um, what what I found is like you hear that word being thrown around a lot, right? Uh, you know, everybody is somebody, someone's a narcissist. Everybody's a narcissist. Like it's just a. Um, and one of the things that I have come to find is that when you're dealing with somebody that has a negative self-image, maybe because they were big growing up, they're small now, something like that, but that person is still inside of them. 
you know, they still, and they're constantly looking for people to constantly keep on telling them how good they look, how pretty they are, how handsome he is, how fine. But because inside, they still feel like. Yeah, they can't believe it. Right. And I also found that they're, because their egos are like literally right here. Like they're very shallow. So it's like as soon as you question it, like you, you question the smallest thing, they going from zero to a hundred just like that. Yep. Because you're breaking that, I guess that uh that projection that they want you to have of them. They don't want you to question anything about them. Nope. nope. And that brings about a certain level of volatility. Where when you break that, it like especially like if you leave or something like that, where they try to destroy everything around you because they don't they're afraid of that mask coming off. Because uh, I've, I've I've been through that, you know, where you know the person tries to defame or just try to destroy your image with everybody, but everybody like, man, I know you, dog. Like, man, okay, I right. <laughs> whatever, yeah. you know, but. It's a sad situation to see happen because that person is so fearful that you're going to out them that they're trying to destroy you so that that you're discredited. And you ain't even thinking because uh, somebody that's ever really been in love with somebody, you ain't looking to, unless a person was just an evil person, they stabbed you or shot you, you ain't looking to destroy that person's reputation. Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? You're like, hey, it just didn't work out. Like, hey, yeah. you know. And that's projection again, because they're thinking, they're afraid you're going to do the thing that they have an impulse to do. Right. That's the nature of narcissistic projection. Yeah, yeah. and it's and it's, it's it's sad when you when you when you look at it and you you start thinking about you know kids being raised in environments like that, um, you know, because then the kid and because the, the the children end up duplicating that same pattern, you know? Um, so, and one of the things that I noticed too, is that you'll see a lot of parents try to triangulate their kids. Yep. Yep. Do you want to, can we, can we, can we get into that for a second? Cause, cause I want to, so we end around nine 30. So for about 15 minutes, I want to go into this. And then for the last half half an hour. I want us to get into relationships between men and women as okay. it relates to um, toxic friends, the impact, you know, and just to- yeah, yeah. how having the wrong circle or the wrong person, being with the wrong person and how some people are actually addicted to toxic relationships. Yeah, yeah. Yep, so, yep. Uh, but for right now, yeah, if we can talk about triangulation a little bit, which you talked about offline some. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. So triangulation, I um, refer to it um, as uh, Cartman's drama triangle. That's how I was taught it. Mm. And there are three, and this is uh, the three positions, three role positions that we go to automatically when we are triggered. And you can recognize when you're in those positions because you can see someone else has taken the other role and has forced you into the other role, into Mm. one of the roles. The three roles are the victim, Mm. the rescuer, and the villain. Okay. Now, uh, you can ask yourself, which one am I in based off how you feel? If you're feeling, if you see feeling and seeing yourself stuck, victim, disempowered, resentful, and the other person is pushing something on you, pushing the objective on you, then you're in the victim position. 
Another way you can be in the victim position is if you're feeling that you're being suffocated by someone else's help, where they're making decisions for you. And anytime you try to make decisions outside of that, they're guilting you. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, so this is, then you know you're in the victim position. When a person is stuck in the victim position, it means that other people, the other two people, uh, the other people they're interacting with don't believe they have the capacity for growth and change. They've mm-hmm. triggered you, and now they're treating you like you're stuck in your past. Um, so the two positions they go into, one position is the persecutor. This is the mm-hmm. villain. They come in, they start criticizing you, they start beating you up, start telling you you're not, you're not such and such and whatever. Now, once they come into that position, once someone comes into position, they knock you into what's called a, that one-down position, the victim position, the powerless position. Now, someone else is going to walk by, see you getting beaten up, looking powerless and helpless. They're going to go through and rescue you. This is the rescuer position. Now, the rescuer comes in, and now they're attacking the villain, okay, the person who, who was once beating you up. Now, all of a sudden, guess what? Everyone changes chairs because now the person that was the villain that was persecuting you, now they're the victim and someone else gets to come. Or you might turn around now and you want to take a different position and you're like, hey, don't talk to my mama like that. You know, suddenly your dad that you invited into the room to rescue you from your mom talking a certain way or in another case, your dad that came in because your mom was so shocked at the tone you used. And now suddenly he's beating you up and suddenly your mom is tripping like, don't beat him up so much. You know, these are these are triangulation moves. They're moves that keep you subjugated instead of in the process of developing into a higher self, because mm-hmm. none of those three positions involve actually getting the thing done. These are all drama positions. Mm-hmm. You're going to go back and forth arguing and all the energy that should have gone into in the moment doing something. The moment passes. The window of opportunity closes. So that's the triangulation as I understand it. Now, what's important to know is that after you grow up in triangulation and you leave, you develop what's called repetition compulsion. Mm. You know, now you're going to go find someone who wants to play the same game with you because that's what you t- learned love was about. Mm. You know, you're going to find a dude that, you know, uh, if a young lady might find a dude that gets into arguments with her and then immediately she call her ex to come through. Wow. You know? Or she might call her dad to come through when her man is acting up because mm. her dad, he's used to playing the role of rescuer to her anyway. That's my little princess, etc. You know, if he's been playing the role for boyfriends because uh, the young lady learned this at home, you know, and if dad is be- like this is how triangulation gets complex. If dad is beating up on mom. Dad is probably extra protective with daughter because now he doesn't want any dudes dating his daughter because he's assuming the next dude is going to beat up on his daughter. He's projecting. Yeah. So by the time she gets married, she's married to a dude who has gone through this terrible uh, process of disempowerment by dad where dad already has him in a a contentious dynamic, Mm. you know. So now this dude already knows every once in a while you got this dad that don't doesn't honor boundaries. He's going to come through every once in a while. And in their relationship, even when dad is not around, she's going to leverage it. She, you know, mm. she's going to do certain things she does right before she calls her daddy and he shows up. Right. Or she she crying that cry, she cry. Or she's locked herself in the bathroom. She's probably on the phone with her dad. Mm. You know, these are all dances that we see. But until we realize that these are projections into our future of patterns we danced in our past. You know, arguments usually involve racing to the victim position. 
Yeah. You know, she going to be hurt. And then because she's jumped in a victim position, you come in and you're like, oh, she, you, you know, you're like, oh, she's playing the game again. Because you've seen her play the game. Right, 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 you right. know she used to play the game. And she told you how her mom and dad used to play the game. So right. you thought you was going to change the tendency for her to play the game with right. how much love you were going to give her. You, my friend, were a rescuer until you <laughs> became the villain. Mm. Okay? Right. Mouthful with that, brother. So next time you turn around, now you're trying to rescue. You're not rescuing well enough. She might go from victim position to villain position. You promised to marry me, honor me, etc., and you're not doing it good enough. She says terrible things to you. She gonna push some buttons from some stuff that you ain't heard since your mama got mad at you. Yeah, yeah. You know certain things you wouldn't allow any dude to say to you. She gonna push those buttons. Meanwhile, you're in the victim position. You spend enough time in the victim position, you gonna she gonna push you past your limit. You gonna say certain things, and next thing you know, you're the villain. She on the phone in the bathroom with dad again, or the kids are outside the door hearing mommy crying, and these are the dances. So was was shift right? Okay, was, now I think my daughter's knocking on the door, and I'm, I'm gonna let her in because we've had sort of a chaotic day. Is that okay? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, go ahead, go Come ahead. in. Come in. Hey. Well, now we know everybody's at home right now, you yeah, know. Sweetie, so. I'm on a call. I don't. Oh, she just came by to tell me I'm the best. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we. Um, he's we, the um, best dad on the planet. Well, I'm sorry, but he's number two. I'm number one. Sorry. All right, all right. I'll take second best. <laughs> <laughs> I take second but, best. <laughs> but one of the things that that I wanted to. Uh, so it's it's interesting that you said that because one of the things that. Um, I've also noticed that you will encounter when you're dealing with somebody that's triangulating or dealing with narcissism is that they'll romanticize the past. They'll tell you they'll demonize the hell out of somebody. And then when you go, well, well, I I see what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, then all of a sudden they'll they'll flip the script and make it seem like the person wasn't that bad. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You the one told me, <laughs> you the one threw the warning signs of so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. And now all of a sudden, when I am like, damn, I yeah. see what you're saying. Now all of a sudden, like, no, you know, why are you attacking so? Hold on. Wait, 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 hey, 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 hey. And we call like, that splitting. Often mm-hmm. in splitting, a person um, with, uh, a person who's been through a certain amount of trauma has a limited capacity to see a person as both good and bad. Mm. So they remember the person as all bad and then they treat the person terribly and they devalue them. But the second you start talking badly about the person, the person is absent, then they, they start listening to you and suddenly they start deciding, hey, the person wasn't all that bad. Oh, you making them sound terrible. And then they decide that they now have to address the good aspects of the person. They flip over, they split. Now they can't remember the bad aspects of the person. So what you talking about? It don't matter that they just said it to you because now they can't access that part of their representation of the person. That's the nature of dealing with a person who has had developmental and relational trauma. Is that not B-I-P-O-L-A-R? <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Well, so, well no, it's um, usually um, they, they would call it a borderline personality or a borderline trait. But here's the thing. Often the the nature of these dances is we continue to do these dances until we wake up to the fact that we're still doing these dances. Mm. And that means that there is if you Google narcissist borderline dance, you'll see that you have two people who have these wounds that spend their lives wounding each other Mm. instead of waking up and they call it love. 
they go on this roller coaster. They go into this idealization, devaluation, honeymoon period, beating someone up, hiding it, telling them that the only reason I do this is because I'm afraid of losing you. All the noise, these loops, mm. you know, we do them because it's what we saw as the representation of love. We see love as fear, pain, guilt, shame, and wounds because that's how we were taught love. We mm. see love as fear of loss. We see love as jealousy. We see love as pettiness, as scarcity and competition. Mm. Until we choose not to. Mm. That is profound, man. Uh, it is. The one thing I never understood is how people could be in competition with each other in relationships. Like, I, I don't, I didn't get it, you know, but then I started understanding that. So I got this thing now, you know, so, so the future Mrs. Bargunier, you're going to need to know one thing. I am not interested in any relationship based on maintenance. It has to be about growth. If you were, if you want me to maintain who I am today, I ain't your guy because you're not the same person you were when you were 12, when you were one years old, you're not the same person at the age of 35 that you were when you were 25. So this idea of people maintaining who they are, yes, Basic stuff like respect, me showing you affection and doing for you, yes. But so many people have this, they don't want you to grow. They want you to stay the same person in this little box without you actually evolving as a human being. And I really feel like we're here to evolve. Um, I remember I was in a therapy session with uh, a, a former uh significant other of mine. And I, the, the uh, therapist ended up basically telling me that you did nothing wrong and explaining that this person's, the reptilian part of their brain was still in control, which is that part, flight of that fight or flight. Yeah. And this person was 30 something. So people think that because of age, you're mature. Nah, like hearing that, that opened my eyes up to, wow, you can actually have grown adults, 40, 50, 60 years old, that still act like teenagers. That's, and people don't understand that. And I, how can, how can people, how do, how do people progress from that? So, and I, cause I would, I would think that, somebody that is stuck in that, I guess, uh, stage of development. Yeah. They're probably dealing with some trauma somewhere. I, I would, I would assume yeah. that's unresolved because they can't get past that fight or flight, you know, uh, part of their life and they need that constant. And that's, that's a very dramatic life because you don't know how to, how to communicate. You don't know how to resolve issues without it. Everything to you is a fight instead of yeah. it's just somebody going, Hey, look, you know, I just, I just want to talk to you. Like we ain't, ain't mad, but I, you know, yeah. can we have a discussion about something, you know, that, you know, whatever. And, you know, yeah. dealing with that, how do, how do people resolve those types of issues? And I don't even, I mean, if you don't know that it's you, like, how do you even identify, you know, that I'm stuck in, <laughs> you know, in the mindset of a, of a 16 year old at age of 62, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, how do yeah. you identify that or how do I, you know better, better yet? How do you help? 
a significant other, because we're right here, a significant other or somebody in your life that may be stuck in that, you know, in a certain stage of development? Yeah. The book I would recommend is um, it's called Attached uh, and the Science of Romance. uh, It's it's a it's a base. It's a relationship book, but it's a relationship book for people who are in toxic relationships. Mm. Um, Now, one of the things to understand is that whenever we have something happen in our lives that scares us so much that we don't want to think about it ever again, whatever identity we were in when it happened gets shut down in fear, shame, and becomes unapproachable. What Mm. that means is that anytime we find ourselves in a situation that reminds us of that situation, we go into that lizard brain, that amygdala, that fight, flight, freeze, faint. Mm -hmm. We go into scripted behavior and we pull out of body. Now, what that means is we go into running a script in the present that we created in the past, but it's a rigid maladaptive script. If it's yelling, beating up someone or whatever, if it's uh, going out on a, on a drinking binge, if it's slamming and throwing, slamming doors, throwing stuff around the house, whatever script it is that we were taught was the way to handle certain things, to look bigger, to look more intimidating, to look more imposing, to feel mm. safe in that moment, we'll do that. Yeah. Mm. But ultimately, we want to observe how we're behaving in different contexts and then notice how we're feeling after the behavior. Right. It's the behaviors that you feel ashamed of, guilty about, behaviors that you feel like you have to compensate for are the behaviors you want to look at and say to yourself, at what age did I learn that behavior? And at what age did that behavior serve me? Mm. And now that behavior was probably not even adaptive then, but it got you through a situation. If rage was what you needed to get you through being in an environment where your boundaries were constantly and and just painfully violated, then you needed to be that explosive person that everyone knew that when you had a certain look, leave you alone. You needed that when you were trapped in that space. But now you're at an older stage where you don't want to push everyone away anymore, yet you find yourself compulsively, reactively exploding when people are trying to get close to you because it reminds you of prior ways that you were groomed in toxic relationships. Mm. Now, what happens is you want to ask yourself, what age do you feel you are in that moment? And you just say to yourself, how old is this part of me that's coming up right now? Mm. Now, what happens then is once you'll hear yourself say, ah, that, you know, that reminds me of the time my dad punched me in my chest and I was nine mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. You were nine. So treat yourself like you would treat a loving nine, a nine-year-old you loved. Mm. You know, give yourself a few moments, go for a walk, let yourself have a nap, get your favorite blanket. And we're grown, but we got to treat the wounded parts of us as if they are the age we were at when they were wounded. And if we find ourselves in love with someone who is wounded at a particular age, we have to realize when they're regressing, this is not the time to get aggressive and reactive because we feel like they're playing games with us. Yes, it feels manipulative, but this is all this person has access to in that moment. So either back up or figure out some way of helping them feel safe so that that young, scared part of them, which they are trapped in in that moment due to the trauma, can recede and heal. And over time, when you build trust, they can come to know that when you're approaching in that way, you're not grooming them, 
you're there for the long run and you're looking for the part of them that exists on the other side of that emotion. Mm. And that's how the intimacy develops in the relationship beyond the wounds. Instead mm-hmm. of trauma bonding, where two people get together, trigger each other all the time, ride the roller coaster and call it love and chaos. Mm. Man, you are dropping jewels of wisdom on us, man. That's a, uh, it's this some this some heavy stuff, brother. I ain't bringing alcohol, man. I, <laughs> that's the Hennessy <laughs> talk. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and that, that's that's my drink right there. You know, let me get one of these kids to bring some. Right. <laughs> no, I don't have my kids missing drinks, y'all. So I not yet. Got to work for defects around here. <laughs> right, right. You know, won't have you know. So, um, well, yeah. I mean, man, there is so much to talk about when it comes to toxic, like just the to- toxic. You know the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> when it comes to dealing with toxic people, um, you know. I had never, I had heard stories of people needing drama or needing to be hit or needing to physically, you know, to be physically abused or physically fight you. When I got into my one and only relationship where that person needed that, I was like, what the Farfik Nugan is going on here. And the scary thing about it was the more I did not reciprocate, the worse the person got. Yes, yes, because they needed you to give them that drug. Yeah, but man, it got to the point where the person tried to kill himself. Yeah. Because I don't, I am a big dude, first of all. I'm 6'3", 200 and some, some pounds. 260 pounds, yeah, 260 pounds. So I'm a big dude. So like, so normally when I'm in a relationship with somebody, I'm not seen as somebody that you're going to physically attack. I'm seen as like a protector, right? Yeah. Uh, because I try to give off that air. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know. Hitting a woman doesn't make any sense to me. Like that's like, you're not, we're not supposed to be competing with each other. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be doing my part. You're supposed to be doing your part. Yep. Uh, you know, and there's a reason why men are bigger than women, stronger than women. Like we're, you know, if we feel like we got to hit each other, why are we together? I mean, like what, what are we doing? Yeah. Um, but when I first experienced somebody and to, to your point that the whole, the whole time we've been talking, this person grew up seeing their mother be an abuser their father been an abuser, drugs, all kind of stuff growing up. So they thought that was normal. Yeah. And most of the relationships prior to me were had some form of abuse attached to them. So when they met me, it was like, you know, wow, I wonder, you know, how what I can do. It was like they were trying to say, I'm a, you know, I'm a, you know, he he think you don't hit nobody. Oh, I'm a yeah. well, I'm a I'm gonna say some stuff to him and he gonna yeah. wanna knock my block yeah. off. You know, yeah. and they, they they would go there, like they would say some stuff like, Did you just say what the yeah. <laughs> I mean so so it's like and then at that point you start to understand, wow, I see how somebody may have yeah. you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you you took them to a point. Yeah. But it's like you, you can't push me there. I'll yeah. leave before I get anywhere near hitting the woman. Yeah. Like, because if you're talking to me like that, you're showing me that you have zero respect for me. Yeah. You know, and I know you might not see it that way. You know, you, you know, because you grew up seeing that as love. So your 
perception is that, you know, no, nah, man hitting me back, man. That's he. That mean he loved me. Yeah. Trying yeah, to control me. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 loved me. So look what you made me do. Right. You know, a lot of that scripted language. Yeah. And the thing about it is that, um, again, this is how we carry it forward. This is the repetition yeah. compulsion. The person, uh, when you're interacting with someone or in an intimate situation with someone who needs that dynamic, because that's what love is for them. When you're not doing it, you're not showing them the right kind of attention. You know, some people will tell you, I, if, if you're not jealous, then, then it's because you you don't think anyone else would want me. No, if I'm not jealous, is because I've decided to choose someone I trust. You know, and, and so you 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 want to look at what the belief is behind these the toxic behaviors. What what is it that the person is trying? What need is the person trying to get met? That either they believe that they are never are doomed to never have met, and so they immediately go to frustration. Or what need are they trying to have met that they believe that they shouldn't have met, and as such, they feel guilty after they haven't met? Mm. You know, you you may meet someone who, uh, after physical intimacy, they they go into a, a a a a deep guilt script, and we don't expect that, especially as we're older now, because most of us are like are like, well, we've been married, this and that, but. Keep in mind that certain scripts that were put into people were put in before we really had complex decision making. So when they told you no sex outside of marriage back in the day, you got married, you know, young, you stayed in the marriage, and now you're 40, whatever, and you're divorced. You still have that old script that says no sex outside of marriage that you forgot was embedded there with guilt. Mm. And it don't matter. To, so now you're going you're gonna to be someone who is, may do it and then feel guilt. And then you enter that relationship, even if that relationship is working, later on, this guilt rolls into the relationship and becomes part of the 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 fire that lights the whole triangulation dance going. Because now someone feels guilty. And so they need they need you not to know that they're feeling guilty inside because they had sex with you before marriage and you're gonna know it for the rest of their life. So they need the moral high ground. Yeah. Mm. So all these dances, they happen from the second you meet someone. We start this dance. We start this small count going back and forth. Who's who's one up? Who's one down? Who owes who? Who has the moral high ground? You know? And mm. as long as we're doing that, we're competing. We're living in an ego dance. We're not doing love. We're doing expectation. Mm. Mm. Somebody posted in the... Uh, Carla Franklin says... Carla! <laughs> Why does this happen so much between black men and women? Why the competition? I, I want to answer this real quick, and then yep. I want you to go in, because I, I got to thought myself uh, so much. It's sad. One partner has to reduce themselves. Um, having been in that situation, and I don't think it's really a black or white thing. I think it's more of a what Dr. Manny went into earlier about scarcity. Uh, yeah. When you're dealing with somebody with a scarcity mindset, uh, you're going to have that. And a lot of times, if you are a high functioning person, you try to, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but you try to, you try to bring somebody that is not somebody that is, that has an abundant mindset or somebody that isn't looking to achieve great things. You try to bring that person along and they don't understand why your desire, where your desire drives to want to be this 
whatever it is that you're trying to be. So I think that's where that comes from. And unfortunately, in, in the African-American community, in my opinion, because there is so much scarcity because of where we come from, that's where that comes from in our community because most of us didn't grow up. Uh, we got Richard Jr. in the house. Man, we had to block this brother. But I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, Richard. But, uh, hey, no gray sweatpants talk, Richard. But, uh, we, um, but yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's like when, when, uh, when you're, when you're coming from, and that's a whole nother topic right there. When you're talking about the black community, I mean, the impact of slavery, there's so many different things that I, I, I feel like the African American, the African American community in this country has so many different levels of people and thought because there's just so much. You got people that are still that, that think that, their whole life is controlled by the boogeyman. Yeah. You know, they feel like the whole life's controlled by, you know, the paparazzi uh, or, huh? or the, uh, what's it? Illuminati. Yeah. <laughs> Illuminati. Like every time a black person, I, if I had that one more time, every, every time a black person makes money, it's the Illuminati. I'm like, hold on. So Jeff Bezos got way more money than all of them. Is he Illuminati? <laughs> you know, uh, Warren Buffett, like I ain't heard this, yeah. but anytime, and, and it's like, where does that come from? It's like, why do, why do we, why do people feel the need to try to attack, you know, and I guess, and, and to, and to, and to call this point, you know, um, I think in our community, and I'm about that Dr. Manny talk. I know this is the Dr. Manny show today. I don't want to take all the thunder from my brother, but like I, 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 when it comes to stuff like this, this is like, well, I just zone out a little bit, but, and, and, and in my opinion, we have so many different, variables as it relates to our own upbringing, when our, when our descendants were free from slavery, how they were free from slavery, what they did after slavery, were they, were they the, uh, the Harriet Tubman slave or were they the house slave? You know what I'm saying? Like, were they, you know, were they in the field? Like, I mean, you got to look at all of those dynamics and then like in my, in my family, I remember my, my, um, my grandmother telling us about sharecropping. You know, telling us, you know, the the city that, that I live in and in Metro Atlanta, I'm sorry, Atlanta for those that live in Atlanta, uh, in Metro Atlanta, Georgia, uh, <laughs> I live in the same city that my grandmother and her family got ran out of by the KKK. So I grew up hearing all these stories. So when I went to a predominantly white college, Man, they were like, "What you doing?" You know, you. I was like, "Man, people are people. Like, I ain't scared of you know, like." And what? And and I, I, I feel like that's a part of that. Once you expand your world, you know, and you got to get with somebody that's that's like minded. But I'll let you. Okay, I'll let you <laughs> chime in on this, Doctor. Man, I just had to yeah. say something about that. So. Yeah, I think Felipe hit the nail on the head when he said it's a scarcity thing. Um. I think one of the a good book that discusses some aspects of this is Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, and mm. it discusses how some people are raised to perceive value as existing outside of themselves, and as such, they have this uh, low self-worth, and when most of us project 
the deepest parts of ourselves outward and assume that we've created value through this authenticity and this deep soul searching. When they go inwards for their truth, they feel as if poison comes out. And as such, they feel as if they need to uh, put out the image that they perceive will give them more value and status. In our community in particular, when I was growing up, I had some frustration with the need to, um, you know, um, over identify with, you know, the whole thug life to be cool, you know, because uh, the ladies that I wanted to date, that's how they looked. You know, I'm sorry. You know, the media had affected me where I wanted to see, I wanted to date what I saw in the video. Right. You know, and so I was like, I want to get this money so I could date people like this. Okay. So once you start developing that mindset, you're modeling yourself after uh, this hip hop culture. And what else is there? Well, um, I don't just want one partner. I want eight. And I want to treat them bad. I want to be able to have an attitude. I want to be able to borrow someone's car and ride it around campus and pick up other women. You know, you you see these things being done and uh, it's framed in such a, um, a playful, pleasant, normative way that you, you find yourself poisoning those that love you because that is what the culture tells you to do. Uh, whether it's uh, not complimenting them, because I remember when before the whole um, big backside and uh, a lot of the current uh, hypersexuality that big females wipe y'all. You yeah, talking about the yeah, big old booty and the yeah, wipe. Yeah, oh. yeah. Before these things became, yeah, honestly, they're they've always been fetishized in African-American women and they've always been made to feel all the things that when made artificial in women outside of African-American women, suddenly it looks good. Mm. You know, you uh, black women grew up having their lips made fun of all their lives. And suddenly you got people swelling up their lips and now it's hot. Black women who grew up with body and identity and weight issues all their lives, suddenly folks are like, oh, it's good when somebody's thick. It's cool now, but when you grew up with that as part of your identity, then you're going to continue to attract people who continue to keep you in the past and make you feel fat, make you feel ugly, make you feel too loud every time you speak up. Whatever the stereotypes were we grew up with that allowed us to look at someone else outside of our race doing these things and say, it's cool, but, but when our women do it, uh, well, she's she acting like a black woman. You know, we, we create a culture within which we reciprocally diminish each other instead of bringing each other up. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it happens in the scarcity mindset. And unfortunately, uh, often when we talk about being African-American, we automatically go to the identities that have scarcity associated with them. You know, that's, I mean, that's, that's my take on it. Mm. So, got another question in the. Uh, this is Kenya Johnson, all the way from California. Going on, Kenya. She probably high right now. Though. I'm just playing, Kenya. <laughs> just, just playing, Kenya. I hope you're staying safe from the fire. Uh, so she says, he mentioned he being Doctor Manny 
mentioned that two people start <laughs> the relationship doing this dance of competition instead of starting the relationship with love. What are the indicators of love versus competition? Um, well, love ultimately is, for me, it's value alignment. Um, if you are, they say you have to be independent before you could be interdependent. If you perceive yourself as living in a scarcity-based world, and usually that's an indication of someone with low self-esteem because mm. someone with high self-worth perceives the world as abundant because you know every time you pour out from yourself, the universe will reciprocate. The world will reciprocate. I put in work, someone cuts a check. Mm. Yeah. Now, um, you have to reframe me in the question because I was in the metaphor and I lost my train of thought. What was the question again? And, I, and I'll get right back. Question is, yeah. Miss Kenya. Yeah. South how do you know love versus? <laughs> how do you know love versus? How do you yeah. know love versus, versus competition? competition? Yeah. Again, if you're on a shared model, what happens is, and this is an, a perfect example of it, because I, when she asked the question, I was looking to answer the question as truthfully as possible. I was able to return to the truth in the conversation. Mm. When you're in something that is love, we return to our truth. We return to the automatic acceptance. The love is unconditional. And as such, we're both vulnerable. When we're dealing with competition, we introduce the concept of deception. We introduce the need, even though both of us are in the same house, I may need to out-negotiate you in the budget to make my point so I can get the money I need. I may need to talk to you passive aggressive in order to get you to do some things that I don't believe you're ever gonna do, so I'm already frustrated. Mm. With the love, love comes with a uh, growth mindset, a shared value, a communication and alignment of those values. Love comes with true boundary setting. Love comes with integrity within each person and within the relationship. Yeah. And then love allows for healthy competition because love is not a context within which you will do the triangulation. Embedded in triangulation is diminishing a person so that they can feel like a victim. They can feel less capable, less powerful, less loving, or less deserving. Mm. We don't do that in love. In love, we separate the mistakes from the person. So we, we do the kind of feedback, they call it descriptive feedback instead of evaluative feedback. You don't say, what's wrong with you? You say, what happened there? Mm. And so when you and the person side by side are working on what happened there so that the person on the other side can be better, that growth, that space, that presence, that truth is what we ultimately call love. Whereas if you're bringing the person down, it's with the intention of on the other side of that transaction, when the next competition shows up, that person being a bit diminished, that person feeling a little less worthy, a little less valuable, a little less capable, so that within the home, we're not focusing on what we can do as a dyad, the two of us synergistically, we're looking at how can you know that I'm worth you sticking around, that if you left, you couldn't do better, that you ain't gonna do go nowhere without me, that you better stay with me, that when I'm gone, you better take it from me, even though I'm violating your boundaries. None of these things are love. Not, all these things are tactical, war, games, and as such competition. Mm. Hopefully that answers the question. 
Yeah, I think that answered the question if she ain't high right now. If you are high, Kenya Johnson, uh, this will be recorded so you can download the podcast or you can uh, <laughs> watch it on YouTube. Uh, the class. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. She going to curse me out later on. It's all good. She in California. Stay away from the... Uh, if you happen to see Yogi Bear fighting, uh, fighting fire, uh, the fires out there, stay away from him. Let him do his job, can you? Keep on getting high, girl. But uh, yeah, man. Um, so she says healthy competition separate the mistake from the person. So speaking of the healthy competition, I absolutely love healthy competition in a relationship where we're pushing each other. Like, I feel like that is extremely, I, I feel like that's probably what you would probably relationship with maybe a Beyonce and Jay-Z, two high-functioning people, because those are actually the hard relationships to be in, because you got two people that both need that support, you know, and at some point, y'all got to do this give and take dance, you know, where... You know, you come home depleted, she come home depleted. I've been in a relationship like that before where we were both just high-functioning running, and it was hard, but it was a very rewarding relationship when it worked. When it didn't, not so much, but it was like when it did because we both realized what we needed, you know, and we became each other's peace. You know what I'm saying? You know, so um, anybody else got any questions out there? Uh, I'm looking through on here. We can... Okay, can you guys you guys hear me now? Better? Okay. Okay. Uh, in a high-functioning relationship, uh, the two determinants of a successful relationship are self-efficacy, which is a person's feeling like that they can do what they say they're going to do, and um, expectancy. Like, the, basically, the person expecting the relationship to work out. So, basically, okay. do you believe in yourself, and you believe... And you believe in your partner? That's that. Those are the two questions. Self-efficacy. Do you believe in yourself enough to do the things? Uh, expectancy. Do you believe in your partner enough to believe in the relationship? Those mm. are the two variables. It's that simple. Man, we got into some serious stuff, man. Uh, over looking at the comments, challenge is different. From competition, though competition implies zero sum. Yep, competition implies scarcity again. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. When we um, when you start, uh, yeah, and I maybe maybe I misspoke because it definitely wasn't a competition. It was more because I've I've been in relationships where I've had people tell me stuff like. Uh, you ought to slow down, you know, let me catch up. I'm like, what? I'm like, hey, yeah. where they do that at? <laughs> We're not doing that here. Like, you know, why am I going to slow down so you can catch up? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Why don't, why don't you, maybe, maybe I can assist you with getting to where I am. How about that? You know, but if I started 20 years ago and you started today, I mean, I'm sorry, there's a, uh, certain amount of effort you're going to have to put in to, you know, and I don't know how to stop, you know, every year in my life has to be a progression. So it's like when you're um, dealing with, you know, a relationship where you both are not 
and 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 I get it. Like some people, they don't they want to work a job and retire, and that's it. You know, and and there's nothing wrong with that. But it seems like the people that are commenting are probably high functioning people, where you know. They'll be in a relationship with somebody, I guess. That's what Carla was talking about, I believe. Kenya maybe alluding to that as well. Um, that they're encountering people that don't necessarily, like, you hear a lot of women say stuff like, you know, men are intimidated by me. And my response to that is that that's because you're accepting of the wrong kind of men. Yeah. A real man is not going to be intimidated by you. I don't care if you're a garbage man. It ain't going to matter who you are. He is not going to be intimidated because at the end of the day, right. You know, like, because at the end of the day, it's like, if we're supposed to be in love, there is, and I, I agree with that. I probably need a new word to use instead of competition because it's not that we're competing against each other. It's more like we're pushing each other to be the best versions of ourselves, you know? And it's not like, Oh, I made a, I made a hundred thousand dollars. You only made $2. Like it ain't like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, but it's more of a, situation where you're, you know, both pushing each other to become the better, better versions of, of, you know, the, what I call the epitome of yourself. You know, I want to be the epitome of Felipe. When I leave, when I leave this planet, I want to be like, man, that brother really didn't have nothing else to do, but die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like what else could he have done? Like he, he did everything like, you know, so at my friend, they're like, man, this dude, how would you say? <laughs> right. You know, um, and I feel like, you know, in a relationship, you got a relationship where, where you're, you're both living what I, you know, a maxed out life and you just running, running, running and going and living the life that a life by design, like you will leave this planet depleted. Like, man, look, I don't want y'all crying or nothing. Don't cry at my funeral. We're going to have a celebration. Play the highlight reel. How about that? <laughs> Play the highlight reel of my life, <laughs> you know, but um yeah this is this is this 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 has been a beautiful uh i i knew by bringing you on the show man that this was going to be a very intense but very eye-opening conversation um man and, and it's, it's been real man how can if any of our guests want to reach out to you how can they reach out? Like, how can they contact you? Uh, email, social media, phone number. Hey, look, but when I, I, I'm about to say something though. Hey, don't be sending no gray sweatpants, dog. But, uh, <laughs> but look. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to talk about this. I can't promise you that. <laughs> I can't promise that. We'll talk about the slow one day, y'all. But right? <laughs> that'll be on episode 100. Um, right. But we'll bring them back, you know. But uh, um, yeah, so okay. So how can um, how can they reach out to you? Well, I've got a, a week long course on breathing because everything begins on with breathing. They can go to asylumawaits.com. A S Y L U M A W A I T S dot com, and uh. Enjoy that seven-day course. It also has some of the uh, hypnotic music that I've been producing for an upcoming album. If they sign up, they'll know when that comes out as well. Um, uh, and so that's the best way to reach me. 
Uh, if they want to email me, it's Dr. Manny, D-R-M-A-N-I, at asylumawaits.com. Again, A-S-Y-L-U-M-A-W-A-I-T-S.com. And if they would like to reach out by email, um, my assistant will get back to them because I'm willing to offer to anyone who heard if uh, this message uh, through your episode, let let me know that you heard through Felipe, and I will offer you a gift session. Usually my sessions, and can I say prices on here? Yeah, absolutely can. Yeah, usually my my single sessions are $1,000 a session. So what I'm offering you in a gift session is $1,000 value. Um, full session, uh, just shoot me an email, Manny at asylumawaits.com, and we'll get you scheduled so you can see what your life can be like with the power of hypnosis. Man, that is awesome, man. And I am a believer in Dr. Manny. I believed in it so much, I had to learn what he was doing. So, <laughs> so you know, so and it 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 um absolutely works. And uh, it's been a pleasure and an honor, honor to have you on the show, man. Thank Hope you. you come back in the future and be a guest, man, so we can talk about some. You know, we only we only scratch the surface, man. We ain't talk about a lot of things today, so. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show, brother. Much love to you and your family, man. With every, I thank appreciate you. you coming on to the show, you know, in thank the midst you. of everything. Um, and look, I'm about to get Dr. Manny because he he didn't he didn't do it, y'all. Like he the first guest on the business of your mind. Business of your mind. What was I supposed to do? <laughs> and he ain't do it. So. To end this episode, I'm going to need Dr. Manny to show his ass and just give me the best business of your mind. And <laughs> business. Of- yeah, brother. <laughs> you ready for me? You ready for me? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <clears throat> all right. All right. Let's get it. All right. Business of your mind. How I do? Absolutely wonderful, y'all. Now it was kind of weak, but we're gonna go ahead. What? <laughs> what y'all think? What y'all think in the comments now? Y'all think that was cool? You know, can we can we just get one more try? One more try. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, I'm gonna hit you with your business up your mind. Is that better? There we go. There we go. There we go, man. It's been a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show, brother. I love you, man. You're my brother, man. When me and this brother hooked up in Vegas, y'all at uh, what? Oh no, we weren't in Vegas, weren't we? No, my bad. We we never been in Vegas. My bad. I was talking about the uh, Hangover, you know. That that Bible retreat we was on. I had a Bible retreat, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, we were making the the uh the Bible version of Hangover in Vegas, you know? So we went to all the chapels and said, look, y'all ain't known each other but one day. Why y'all over here eloping? What what y'all doing? You know you're too drunk over there. You know, we ain't, we were slapping drinks out of people's hand and all kind of stuff, man. We were going to the dispensaries and... True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, this has been a wonderful episode. I love everybody. Yeah, Carla Franklin. We're in no Vegas. What you th- nah, we we no nah, nobody in Vegas. We was no no. I'm sorry. No, we were in Vegas. We were saving lives. We were saving lives in Vegas. 
saving lives. Carla. Russ said we were trying to convert people into dispensary. Yeah, the people. How do you think all the people got inside of the asylum? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Bro, you don't want that strain. <laughs> It's gonna keep you up all night. <laughs> Is there any you got you got any last things you want to say, Doc? Nah, man. I've had so much fun. Thank you so much for this like uplifting conversation. As you know, today has been a sad day uh, for my family and spending this time with you has really uplifted me. Thank you. Any any time, brother. And I hope you hope hope to have you on again, man. Uh I always enjoy talking to you, man. And it's been a a beautiful okay, hold on. My niece just popped up on the show again. So let me go. Hey, how you doing, Ariel? How you doing? You know, I'm glad I ain't see you because I might have cussed a time or two during this episode. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna put a special PG version of this episode for you. That you, you can't <laughs> you can't watch the regular and don't be Googling anything we talked about either because there were some things we talked about on here that you know that you might not we don't need you Googling. But uh yeah, so it has been a wonderful episode. We are going to sign off. I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. And Carla Franklin says love and hugs. She looks love and hugs, Carla. I'm just playing. She didn't say all that, but she she <laughs> did say love and hugs. She did say love and hugs. Love you, Carla. <laughs> no, I'm and, Carla for like twenty no. something years now. We appreciate y'all. And on we are going to be going weekly starting next week. Next week we have another phenomenal guest. Dr. Manny might I mean I think he might pop make make an appearance. He ain't wearing no gray sweatpants if any of y'all, you know, think he's gonna be have sweatpants on. But uh <laughs> next week we're gonna have a phenomenal episode. We got a very special guest. I know a lot of people know me as the money man, helping people move money around. Uh we're about to start getting into some of that content, but in order for you, in order for you to move your money around, you got to have the right mind. In order to even do it, because if your mind ain't right, your money ain't gonna be right. Am I right or can I get an amen? So, amen. <laughs> I love you all. Until next time, we are out. Peace.